My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. What a difference a week makes. Kevin McCarthy is gone. A new speaker will be elected next week. But the chaos is going to continue. Jim Jordan's chances of taking the chair are pretty high. But who the hell is Jim Jordan, really? Will a new speaker really solve the problems? Isn't another shutdown just over the horizon? And how the hell did the US get here? Does this problem predate Donald Trump? We are going to talk about it all with Marion McKeown today. And we'll also get to Donald Trump's shenanigans festival in New York, the first third party candidate, and shy Ronnie DeSantos moving his plan to California. Marion, it's fantastic to have you here. A week when we've never needed you more to make sense <laughs> on, on here. Let's start with this fact. Matt Gates did this, but Kevin McCarthy created this, didn't he? In a nutshell, that kind of sums it all up that basically Kevin McCarthy loaded the gun, handed it to Matt Gates, and said, Now don't play with that. You know, and knowing exactly. <laughs> who Matt Gates is and that he could not help himself but do that at some point. When we I, we chatted about this last week and, and I remember like when this all started, and, and I don't want to get down the weeds, but back in early January, when Kevin McCarthy went five rounds into two or three in the morning and we were all there and we were all looking at each other and we at that stage, the whole of Capitol Hill was taking bets on how long Kevin McCarthy's speakership would last. And I don't think anybody said Ah, he'll be there until the end of 24. I don't think anyone believes that when you hand such a hostage to fortune, that 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 it's not going to come mm. back and bite you on the ass. But this is Kevin McCarthy's, this is how he won the speakership and how he lost it. He's so craven and he was so desperate to become speaker that he would promise anything. I suspect he would have promised all of his children, his mother yeah. and anyone else, that it, because he has made so many bargains and told so many lies and gone around so many corners just to get into the Speaker's office on Statuary Hall and have his picture taken, his selfies with all of the people coming through and you see him doing it. And I don't think anybody has ever wanted to be Speaker more that I've come across and since I've been covering politics in America, that their ambition was so naked. And I don't think anybody has been humiliated more. And I don't think anybody, certainly not just in, in the last hundred years, but has ever had such a disastrous 
speakership. So be careful what you wish for. I think yeah, that's what we should tell Kevin. Be absolutely. careful what you wish for. It's a cautionary tale in so yeah. many levels, a public pantsing that was predicted and built in. But isn't this system or this set of promises that he made, do these now follow for the next speaker or is it a fresh slate? Well, I don't know, because I think I think this has been a bit sobering for Republicans and not all of the 221 Republicans who are sitting in Congress twiddling their thumbs every day want to be doing that. Like a lot of them are genuinely disturbed by what's happening, by the way that Congress has just become lawless. Now, let's go back on what Kevin McCarthy has done. And it's very hard to feel sympathy for him. I've said to you before, I've met him several times. He's not an unpleasant man. There are plenty of unpleasant people in Congress who are rude, who are arrogant, but he is an incredibly weak and ambitious man. And he succumbed immediately to pressure to push out Liz Cheney for the simple thing that she said, I don't believe the election was stolen. That was enough. And she was the third most senior Republican in Congress in 2021. And the mere fact that she refused to go along with Trump's Kool-Aid at the end of 2020 and refused to pretend that she believed the election had been stolen, that was enough to end her career. In fact, so her observing the Constitution, observing the law, observing the truth was enough. And she was royalty. She was one of the people who everyone thought was untouchable because her father was Dick Cheney, etc., etc. And so McCarthy was happy to push her out as a sacrifice to keep his grip on the party. He was happy to do whatever Donald Trump told him because he saw all along that the midterms would be coming and that that would be his chance to become speaker. Uh, So that's just one of the deals he did. His deals were so craven. We all know that on January 6th, he said, oh, this is down to Donald Trump. And the next day when Trump clicked his fingers, he went running down to have his photograph taken beside Trump to say, no, 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 January 6th, this isn't to, to totally make excuse for Trump. He, on the day of January 6th, he still refused to basically sign off on. He was one of the objectors who said that he the, the, the he who wouldn't sign off on the the electoral college votes Mike Pence could certify them he was one of those objectors he should never have been speaker of the house in the first place he has encouraged precisely the kind of lawlessness that ended up biting him on the rear and that's why it's hard to have sympathy for him and the irony of course here is Kevin McCarthy Matt Gates what Matt Gates basically got him fired for in the end and set up his firing was for doing his job which is as Speaker of the House, he is Speaker of the House of both sides. His job is to pass legislation. His job is to avoid shutting down government. So his crime was, and the crime that got him fired, was working with Democrats to avoid a government shutdown, which is sort of the first responsibility of any Speaker to work with the other side to avoid a shutdown. And then the irony, of course, is that Matt Gates then went and worked with Democrats to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. So he goes and works with Democrats for doing, he does precisely the thing that he has Kevin McCarthy ousted for, but there's so much more behind it than that. That was his excuse and he pounced. The blood between those two has been toxic for God knows how long. And we spoke about this again a couple of weeks ago. That Mm, About the ethics committee and all of that. Say that again, Jarlath, I'm Uh, sorry. This was the ethics committee around the... Exactly, exactly. 
looking into Matt Gates. Yes, and the Ethics Committee is still looking into Matt Gates. And one of the things that could happen now, I don't know if it will happen, but it's conceivable because so many Republicans now, Matt Gates is despised generally on Capitol Hill by Democrats and Republicans, but by an awful lot of Republicans. The only person who really has his back is kind of Jim Jordan and Donald Trump. And But what Donald Trump says gets filtered into Capitol Hill. It goes into the air system. It goes into the Kool-Aid. And Trump's instructions and what Trump would like are kind of, they're semaphored around to the Republicans. And one of the reasons that Trump did not come to McCarthy's aid, even though it, it was Trump's intervention back in January, where he kind of said, OK, Matt, get your concessions, but let him be speaker now. You've, you've made your point. Uh, Trump could just have easily have got back onto Gates and said, look, don't do it. Don't do it. Wait, just leave it. Just leave it. We need to get the, as if Trump would ever say, we need to get the spending bill done. We need to get (laughs) back on track. But another person would say, don't, there's no point in creating more chaos at this point. But Trump stood back. Now, Gates made it very clear. He spoke to Trump a number of times before he tabled this motion. Clearly, Trump went along with it. And that was the subtext. So Trump was like, yeah, screw him. Screw Kevin. Let's have him. Uh, mm, and so mm. this, this is, again, a president who is so lawless, who has such contempt, a former president and would-be future president, who's happy to see the house burnt down because he has some petty grudge against McCarthy for whatever. And then, of course, Gates has his grudge against McCarthy because of the Ethics Committee, the, the resumption of that investigation. But this could be the tool that a lot of Republicans might try to use now to get rid of Gates because Democrats well, that's what I was going to ask about. All vote together. That's what I was going to ask about because, as you mentioned, he's so universally disliked. Yeah. And even Republicans thought that, yeah, he might have a load gun. He'll probably spin it around his finger a few times, but he'll ultimately put it back in the holster. It feels like Republicans didn't expect him to do this. An audible hush went across the chamber. People are talking about this pin drop moment and somebody even saying the sentence, what do we do now? (laughs) Yeah, the now what? Yeah. Now what? Like, well, now what? What for Matt Gates and what for this role? Like, who the hell would want to be speaker? Well, you know, this is the million dollar question. So the staggering thing here is like, talk about a poison chalice. You wonder why, well, McCarthy just wanted it because McCarthy came in in 2000, 2010, 210 years. <laughs> it feels like it's like been doing this for 1800 years. But, and he was one of the, the young guns. So it was he and Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor. And they even wrote a book about themselves. These were the new Republicans. They were, they, in their own minds, they were these hot, fit guys. And the picture on the cover of their book is comical because it shows the three of them shoulders back, arms folded, muscles flexed. And behind them is the the, the basically Capitol Hill, but the photograph is taken in such a way that the, the whole of the background is dwarfed because they're so big and they're powerful. More and they're yeah. coming in to clean up. So Eric Cantor was the first one to get the speaker at the gavel and he was ousted. He was primaried by his own party and kicked out. Kevin Ryan quit in, was it 2018? He just couldn't take another two years of Trump and and trying to square that circle. And then, so McCarthy, who's widely recognized as being the stupidest of the three, basically the weakest link, was jumping up and down to get this gavel. And he was thinking, me next, me next. And then, but you, I remember thinking this last January, going, why 
do you want this? Because you're not going to be able to do anything. You will be humiliated for nine months, or not nine months, but for whatever amount of time, and then mm. you'll be turfed out. And that is kind of precisely what happened. And to be fair to him, in the limited, decent things he did, he did at the end do the right thing. It was probably the only time he behaved honorably as speaker when he said, I'm not going to shut down the government. I'm going to work with Democrats, which any other time in any other era would have been a foregone conclusion. But before that, he greenlit the impeachment into Biden. And this is why Democrats just turned on him, because they could have stopped this. They could have voted in order for, for Gates to do what he did. He only had eight votes and he needed to get a majority of votes. And so he needed the 211 or 212 Democratic votes. Now, they could have stopped it. They could have said, you know what, we'll just vote present. We won't even vote for McCarthy, we'll just vote present. And that means that our votes can't be corralled behind gates. But they were so sick of McCarthy and his lies and the stuff that he was doing. Like, as I say, the, the fantasy impeachment, which is still going on, which he just did to placate Gates, ironically. The fact that he was coming in and out and blaming Biden for stuff that the House had failed to do under his leadership. And then he went on TV last Sunday and he tried to blame the Democrats for the House shutdown, for the, the possibility of a shutdown. And they kind of had enough. Plus, of course, he expelled key Democrats, Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff, from their committees for no reason other than that Democrats had expelled Marjorie Taylor Greene for pretty damn good reasons several years earlier for, for the stuff that she had done. So he was enthralled. He was anyone who wanted a tit for tat, basically. Any Republican could go to McCarthy and he'd do it for them. And then, ironically, his final act of pettiness was Nancy Pelosi, who's now 83, has an office in the Cannon Building. Now, on Capitol Hill, you've got the big Capitol Building, and then you have the offices that sort of surround it, like satellite offices. So you've got the Cannon, the Longsworth Building, the Dirkskin, and, and a few others. And that's where the senators and where the um, Congress people have their offices. But to get from your office to the Senate, you've got to either walk, it's only a 10 minute walk, but it's a bit of a hike uphill or else you can take the underground shuttle. But for Nancy Pelosi, who is 83, as Speaker Emerita, which she is now, there's a courtesy normally where you're given an office near the chambers. So you don't have to schlep forward and back three or four times a day or whatever. She did it for previous Republican speakers. She gave them a suite of offices on Capitol Hill. Now, she did oust Mike Pence from his office when he went and became vice president, which is kind of fine because he doesn't have to be on Capitol Hill, but she does. So Kevin McCarthy ordered Pat McHenry, who is now the temporary speaker, to to get rid of Nancy Pelosi, to take her office back. So she is in California at the moment at Diane Feinstein's funeral, and they sent her an email saying, empty your office immediately. Now, she's not even on Capitol Hill at the moment. And so just, and it was McCarthy who was behind that. And mm. as a final act of pettiness, it really kind of beggars belief that, that but of course, Pelosi is the most successful speaker, and we've said this before in this podcast, by any metric, even Republicans, they grudgingly admit that she was a formidable speaker. And so she was in the history of, of in the, and that's the past 235 years, whereas McCarthy will now go down as the worst. And I think for McCarthy, it was probably just an act of peak, an act of petulance that she had such a grip on, on her conference. And she was governing with a majority that wasn't dissimilar to McCarthy's. She only had two or three more votes, but she got through all of this phenomenal legislation in the two years 
of Biden, the first few years of Biden's presidency. So what you couldn't have two more chapter. contrasting players. Yeah. And, and uh, clearly Democrats were like, we just want to close the book on this guy. Yeah. Uh, and I guess once the book is closed on him, it also removes the power of Matt Gates to be like the nya, 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 nya in the corner of the room. Suddenly he's not as important anymore. Or is he? Well, Yes, he might well be, because whoever, there are only four votes to play with. So what's going to happen next week, and I can pretty well predict this, is that the 212 Democrats are going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries, their leader, to be the next speaker. That's how it could go. They'll vote for Jeffries. So the Republicans will have a choice. At the moment, Tom Emmer and Elise Stefanik, who were in the running, have indicated that they're not going forward, and I can't say I blame them. So at the moment, it's down now to what looks like it's going to be Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan. Now, Gates has made it clear that he would support either of those, but the momentum seems to be going towards Jim Jordan. Now, whoever, whoever, basically, they need 218 votes of the 221 Republican votes. There's no room, there's no margin for error. So basically, these, this gang of eight can keep demanding concessions. I do not think the next speaker, and if, if the next speaker, whoever wins this election, if they agree to give Gates, the same power of veto, the same like one person can basically pull the rug on the speaker, then they they are too stupid to even be on Capitol Hill, never mind to become speaker, because it would be a suicide note. It would it would start the whole thing over again. But I don't think that Gates has the same animus towards Jordan, who he actually likes and gets on with personally. They're from they're cut from the same cloth pretty well. And he also seems to have respect for Steve Scalise. So I think Nancy Pelosi, when she was speaker, and this is just how crazy things got, when she was speaker, the, the rule was that it would take 50 people to do what Matt Gates was allowed to do in his own, that you had to have 50 people on board to table that motion. And then initially McCarthy said, OK, we'll bring it down to five, we'll bring it down to five. And then, of course, he went all the way to one. So for him to have done that was unthinkable. So I would suspect that the next speaker will say, as a condition, I am not going to have this kind of a, a, a sort of democracy over my head for the next two year and a half or whatever it is. We have got to have consistency. We've got to be able to govern without one person burning the house down. But as I say, because they, they Gates is still in a very powerful position because he can hold out and his cronies can hold out because, as I said, they've got to get 218 votes. Uh, so that only leaves um, 2183 it, there's a margin of three there, in fact. So Gates is still going to be powerful. The Freedom Caucus is still going to be powerful. Of course, Jim Jordan was the founder member of the Freedom Caucus back in 2010 or whenever it was. And um, he's in his ninth term as congressman. And a lot of people, weirdly, and people I've spoken to, even Democrats, who initially a week ago were kind of the devil you know is better, are now thinking that in a weird way, they might be able to work with Jordan. So they're not going to vote for him. But uh, whoever becomes speaker, this shutdown is coming back in six weeks, this threatened shutdown. The spending bills have to be sorted. Um, so it's going to, it's Groundhog Day. The same thing is going to happen all over again. And whoever becomes speaker is going to have to work with Democrats to avert a shutdown. And so they're going to basically end up probably doing exactly what McCarthy did and what McCarthy got ousted for. But the difference being with McCarthy and Gates, it was personal. It was deeply, mm. deeply personal. Now, Scalise is pretty hard right, even yeah. linked to the former Ku Klux Klan leader, David Duke. 
by his own description, he's David Duke without the baggage. That was his words, not mine. (laughs) He uh, obviously walks with a cane having survived a shooting. That's right. That congressional baseball practice that you mentioned all those episodes ago in 2017. Who do you fear more, um, Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise? It's a really strange one because I think that they would both be pretty awful. But then again, as they say, for Democrats, you you go to war. <laughs> well, you don't choose the opposition when you go to war. You don't choose. But but you you go to war, basically. You, you have to deal the hand you're given. Uh, Scalise is more experienced, but I think Scalise is he's a pretty unpleasant individual for starters. He's a hard person to like. And again, I, I that's only in, in my experience of being in the room with him, of being in at events where he speaks, where he's been addressing people, of even being in Statuary Hall when he comes bursting out. Well, And he's not a particularly pleasant person. He is very far to the right. He would be very much like he spoke at a white nationalist event. I think it might have been. It was quite a long time ago anyway. Maybe it was 15, 20 years ago and said that, oh, if I had known I I wouldn't have spoken. Everyone knew that he knew exactly what he was doing. He's also very religious. He's a deep South Louisiana guy, very much. He's not a member of the Freedom Caucus, but he would be very much. Trump wouldn't be a huge fan of his. Trump would be a big fan of Jim Jordan's. And I think that at the end of the day, I think Trump's clout will carry. I think a lot of Republicans on the Hill will basically kind of go with who they think Trump would like. And I think that given that Gates would also support Jordan, that it's looking like, as I said, I'm feeling the momentum going towards Jordan at the moment. I may be proven totally wrong next Tuesday or Wednesday, but the the way they can, a lot of Republicans can respectfully kind of not vote for Scalise is to say, well, look, he was just diagnosed with blood cancer. He's getting treatment. This mightn't be his time. He may need to spend more time with his doctor. Or, or words to the equivalent. Yeah. So I think that that may be something that they can. And as well, that that shooting at that event, that that it was such a bizarre day. God, I still remember it in, in, in D.C. At, on, on, on the pitch. He he almost died. He suffered very serious injuries to internal organs and, and to although he was shot in the hip, the bullet did pretty serious damage. So there is a question of notwithstanding the fact that he's just been diagnosed with blood cancer, whether he would physically be up to what is an absolutely exhausting yeah, job. And, and has never maybe the most exhausting so. job outside a president yeah. with everything that comes with it. Uh, we'll obviously talk an awful lot more about that next week as things unfold. We're recording this late Thursday night. I'm in Bristol at the moment at a Holiday Inn. Hilton, I don't know what the hell. Oh, One of these. They're all the same. And you know them well. <laughs> they're, they're really cookie cutter, ultra clean. Thank God. I want to give a big shout out to everybody who came out to the show here in Bristol, packed house at the Hen and Chickens and loads of listeners to Irishman in America, all looking for you, Marion. And we had a discussion about bangles. We've had a couple of emails about bangles. The bangles are off. For the bangles are off. <laughs> the bangles. No more jangling yeah. of bangles on this podcast. No, no. Uh, and thank you. But but you know what? It's great that people, I always appreciate the fact that the gang out there will take the time and yeah. the trouble, A, to listen, but then B, to provide what is a really useful tip yes. because it's very irksome for people if they're listening to a jingle jangle that I wasn't aware of. So keep whatever whatever the comment 
Bring it in. Bring, as as though, Kevin right? McClarty said, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> bring it. Irishmenabroadpodcast at gmail.com is the way to get in touch with us. Ticketmaster is the way to get yourself tickets for Shepherd's Bush Empire, which goes on sale today. As you're listening to this, they are available now. So if you are a London listener or in the greater London area, that's the show. March 8th, the brand new show. Your man, Shepherd's Bush Empire, biggest show I've ever done in London. I'd absolutely love if loads of you guys could make it. Let's move on, though, to what I called Donald Trump's Shenanigans Festival in New York City this week. If you missed it on Wednesday, Trump asked a judge to dismiss the whole of the government's election interference case against him, arguing that all of his actions leading up to January 6th attack on the Capitol were protected by presidential immunity. Yep. I guess you always saw this coming, Marion. Yeah, and and also the response, which is PFO. <laughs> Seriously, get a grip. Look, he's he's just a master, ringmaster, really. He he's loving. And the other thing, just to flip back really quickly, and it kind of infuriates me that it's getting coverage, but it is, Ed, where he's saying Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to nominate him to be speaker. And where he's saying, oh, I could come and be speaker for to bring the country together. And he has to be inserted into every single narrative. And of course, mm. the news media here is running with this, like it's a serious thing, like he could be the next speaker. And it, you just want to go, look, I've, the guy has two civil actions, one ongoing at the moment. He has four criminal actions. He's running for president. On what planet? On what planet? Why are you even broadcasting this nonsense? On what planet could he be the House Speaker, which is a 90-hour-a-week job? And it, it, it's ridiculous. Well, but yeah, he was in New York. more than a 90-hour-a-week job, and he still managed to, to do his version of that. Why yeah. are people taking it seriously, though, Marion? Because it's all over everything, from the Hill to CNN, people talking about it's shameful. Pondering the move. It's shameful because every journalist worthy of the name knows that this is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But Trump wants to be the center of the drama. He doesn't mm. want some, he, he can't have this huge news story going on without him being, you know, a central player. And so he floated that he'd be happy to basically step in and be a temporary speaker and Marjorie Taylor Greene and of course his cronies and then his cronies on Fox News and, and that media all start running with it. And then the the what tr- Trump would call the fake news media then pick it up. And it's like it 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 should the only coverage of that is how ludicrous it is, is to mm. just dismiss it as something that is completely ludicrous and not going to happen. And and that's all really that's yeah. to it. Give us a little rundown of what's been happening in New York this week, because I I feel like with the news feed over here, you really have to want to know about this stuff to find out about it on this side of the Atlantic. Yeah, it's well, to me, it was it's like Judge Judy this week. It it was I don't know if you saw some of the clips again of Trump is using this as a campaign event. Now, the interesting thing is Trump doesn't have to be there. The, the decision has all the ruling was already made by the by the judge that basically there is evidence of substantial fraud, like basically that Trump committed fraud. This part of the trial is to decide on damages. Now, as I mentioned last week, it's not a jury trial. It's not a jury trial because Trump's lawyers apparently didn't tick the box that said, we'd like to have a jury trial. Thank you very much. But also it may have been smart because a for starters, part of this couldn't be decided by a jury anyway. And I won't get too legally technical, but there are certain aspects that a judge would have to 
make a decision on rather than a jury. But also a jury might have said, in terms of the fine, Letitia James is looking for a $250 million fine, which she says is the amount of money he made by his multiple scams. As a result of his mm-hmm. multiple scams, that's the profit on, on what he did by claiming he had this 30,000 square foot penthouse and what have you. And so, and th- that has been, uh, a jury might have said, and especially a New York jury, well, screw it, let's, let's fine him a billion dollars. So, yeah. so it may have been better that it is being done by a judge than by a jury. And that may have been why the box wasn't ticked. But Trump, of course, can't, is acting like, this is so unfair. I wasn't given a chance to appear before a jury. Look at this, look at this witch hunt, et cetera, et cetera. But it's so every at every break. So he's seeing this as I think there are two things here, actually, Charles. One of them is that you can insult. You can call Trump a traitor. You can accuse him of January 6th, of overthrowing an election, of of papering his bathroom walls with state secrets and with classified documents. You can accuse. And he doesn't seem to really care. But if you say he's not rich, if you say this is all a sham. This is a crock. He doesn't own anything. He's not worth anything like he says he is. That goes to the heart of his mm. fragility and his ego. And that's why I think partly he's been turning up in court every day because he does not want people to think that he is not who he has been be- pretending to be for the last 20, 30, 40 years, which in his mind, the greatest real estate tycoon that ever lived, the greatest, the biggest, the richest. Uh, so I think this has wounded him and offended him and angered him in a way that the other criminal trials and the 91 criminal charges have not. So he's, as I say, he's turning up every day, no need for him to be there. And he's coming out in the morning before he goes in, he's talking to the press. He comes out at lunchtime, he comes out in the evening. So, and it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever watched Judge Judy. Oh, but listen, I, I've always thought that Judge Judy is very close to Donald Trump herself in the manner in which she deals with things. Indeed. But, yeah. But, but you know the way the defendants come out afterwards and they go, well, I think that was really unfair. Or, well, I think she was. And Judge Judy was very tough on me yeah, today. It's exactly what he's doing. So he's making it into kind of the people's court. So he's basically yeah. turning this into the people's court and using it again as election campaign fodder, as 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 material for as as well as he this to him, as I said, it just cuts to the quick of who he thinks he is. But but he's using it as a campaign trail event three times a day, and he knows that where, whereas his rallies aren't really carried in before they they would run them from the moment before he even came on stage right through until he disappeared off stage, no matter how long and crazy they were. Now his rallies are not getting that kind of coverage. So he's calculated, I think, that he's getting more coverage now by coming out on the trial breaks and spouting off of the camera. But, you know, you do want to give him a little tip and say, you know what, Donald, really? And I'm sure his lawyers have said, this judge is going to decide how big your fine is. This judge is going to decide whether or not you have to sell every Trump property in New York. This judge is going to decide whether your kids can never work in New York again. So stop calling him a rogue. Stop calling him a Trump hater. And stop posting pictures of his clerk and pretending she's Chuck Schumer's girlfriend. Because that really got the the judge's goat. And that was when he put that gag order on Trump. uh, Which, again, if the gang out there aren't aware, Trump had been posting and saying, Letitia James is racist, rogue, 
tyrant, whatever, whatever. The judge, same thing. They all hate Trump and that the clerk is, the, the clerk who is the judge's assistant, she has no input into the outcome of this case in any way. And then, so there was a photograph of her somewhere with Chuck Schumer. Now, Chuck Schumer, if people don't know, he's the uh, Senate majority leader. He's a Democrat. Chuck Schumer has never seen a camera he doesn't like. He has never seen a selfie he didn't like. He loves being photographed with people and having pictures of him posted all over the place. It's very easy to get a picture with Chuck Schumer. It doesn't signify anything. But Trump found a picture of this clerk in a room at an event with Chuck Schumer and said that she was his girlfriend. Now, this is just appalling. Just and the judge was nonsense, right? rightfully furious. So he came back in and he said to Trump, you go after basically any of my staff again, any courtroom staff, any marshals, anyone whose job it is to come in and work in the legal justice system. And basically, you're you're like he made it clear the sanctions would be really severe. Now, Trump can still slag off the judge if he's foolish enough to do so. And Letitia James, because why not? But but to go after just courtroom staff whose job is day in, day out to turn up in that courtroom to do their work, regardless of who the defendant is, they have no say our input into who the defendant will be. It's it's just appalling. But, you know, it's part of this whole, there's a weird nihilism at the moment in America. And I think just one of the things, after Matt Gates uh, and the Gang of Eight basically ousted McCarthy, they went straight across. Steve Bannon has a, a, a podcast that goes out. It's the most tedious rambling thing. It's four hours a day and it's called The War Room or whatever. They went straight over to Steve Bannon, who still sees himself as being the agent of chaos, the string puller. And he was talking to Gates also every day before Gates pulled the, the trigger on McCarthy. And there seems to be, you know, and it really worries me that these unelected people, who Trump is also at the moment, by the way, he's not elected to anything at the moment. He's a private yeah. citizen. And that these unelected people are stirring this pot of chaos of lawlessness, of nihilism for their own reasons, because they want to see Congress come crashing down. And it, they don't even it? seem That's to have a plan want. B. They want to see it's this populist thing that they want everything to just implode and then they can decide what kind of a, a an alternative. But it's it's staggering and shocking. And I tuned in to much as it offended me, a bit of Steve Bannon's podcast and to hear him exalt these eight and to call on their funders and people to fundraise for them, et cetera, et cetera. And the sad thing is that in their constituencies, because they all come from pretty extreme constituencies, they will be rewarded for this. They will all be rewarded for this. They will not be punished. And it will be up to, to the Republicans in Congress, the House Republicans, if they had the, where I don't know, the integrity to just expel Gates I think it would be a terrific thing, but I don't think they do. And Jim Jordan has already said he's not interested in expelling Gates. That's it for this week's episode here on the free platforms. Come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad this week and gain access to the full episode. And every single week you'll get a double size episode over there. The price of a pint each month. You sign up patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. 